You're listening to another episode of I Am Change podcast, the podcast where we just about phenomenal change makers who go above and beyond to chase their dreams, make the lives of others better, or fight for what they believe is right. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at I Am Change Pod and subscribe to our feed on your favorite podcast listening app so you never miss an episode. I Am Change podcast is available on several listening platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and YouTube. This is I Am Change podcast. We must get people to connect more with this idea. Vulnerable children are going to be the most hard hit by this pandemic. I'm just going to write myself. I'm going to make sure I direct. I have seen how words move people to action. IIC podcast hopes to inspire you to live more consciously and be the change the society needs. I think the most important thing is self-reliance. Sit down and look at your processes properly. I'm your host, Koride Aziz. Have you ever heard anyone say Nigerian youths are unemployable? There's a good chance you have. Whether this is true or not isn't the question. Enough people believe it is for us not to pay attention. So if Nigerian youths are unemployable, even after having completed tertiary education, what then is the problem and how do we solve it? This week on I Am Change podcast, I am concerned with what skills, the top skills, Nigerian youths need not just to be employable, but to succeed in their chosen careers. For answers, I chat with Fola Aino. One look at his tweets and you'll see that he is passionate about Nigeria's youth and how they can reach their full potential. Fola is an international security analyst and development policy expert, also the founder of Triola Aino Foundation, an NGO focused on youth development and partly on rural development. Before kicking off our discussion, I asked Fola what he's been up to. I'm currently nearing completion of um, doctoral studies here in London at King's College. I'm studying for a PhD in leadership studies uh, with a focus on security and development. Uh, my background is in political science, which I studied at Amodabello University in Zaria, Nigeria. Uh, and I have two master's degrees. The first is in international development policy in Seoul, South Korea. And the second uh, was in um, African studies at the University of Oxford. You've been all over the world. That's brilliant. Yes. Okay, awesome. So the biggest question for us today, what can we do to ensure that Nigerian youths are employable? I want you to answer this question as if you're talking to two people. First person is the individual, the young person who wants to be employable. And then the second person is the employer. Okay, so let's start with the, with the young person, okay? And I'll say a couple of things. A lot of times young people, you know, are right off from school, college, and then they are wondering, you know, that they have gone to school to acquire an education, but then they still don't have jobs. The question may be that they are with a certificate, but beyond their certificate, they aren't employable. In other words, there's a big difference between having a degree and then translating that degree to employable skills, okay, that makes you employable, all right? Now, things that young people need to know, are, I'll mention three critical things, and these critical things are interchangeable, okay? Beyond your degree in college, you know, whether you have a master's, whether you have a PhD, 
I would advise you know that you must always prioritize three things. One is your character, all right. Two is your competence, and three is your capacity. Okay. Now your degree would always get you to the front of the door, but what gives you access beyond the door is your character. Okay, and a lot of young people. For so, I'm going to try to be very practical. So sometimes you see young people on social media these days. They put up all sorts of things on social media, and then they keep um, very questionable um, social media footprints. Mm -hmm. And then you are applying for a job, and then a potential employee, um, sorry, employer goes online, checks up your social media footprints, and they see oh, what this person has said in their CV is not necessarily commensurate with. Um, the kind of character they have online and that brings up a, a red flag okay so young people you want to be able to focus on your character beyond your degree okay and also your competence how reliable are you okay are you the kind of person that gets work done are you the kind of person that just takes work nonchalantly what is your attitude when other things are entrusted to you that are not necessarily your own to look after how do you treat it what's your mentality towards work Okay, and then of course, the third thing is your capacity. So yes, you have the degree, but do you have the skills required for the job? Two different things. And again, since I'm trying to be very practical, again, I'll say a few things I hope will be beneficial to young people. So sometimes as a young person, you may have applied for a job which you, you're very much interested in, but then you just finished college and that job says you should have five years experience. Okay, but then you're wondering, I just finished from college. So nobody ever told me that even after going all, through all that hard work in school, I'm going to have to be required to have five years of work experience. Now what you can do at the end of each semester, during your break, okay, through your holidays, is to go volunteer at a place of work and acquire skills, okay, learning opportunities and build networks. And at the same time, that gets your foot in. So that even when you finish your degree, you stand a greater chance of getting a job subsequently. Now, the advantage with this is that by the time you do this all across your five years of studying, is you realize that you might have amassed as much as one and a half years, 18 months to two years of work experience on your CV just upon graduation. Wow. And a lot of young people don't consider this. Secondly, another thing you can also do is that you know, there's the worry and the concern about the fact that these volunteering opportunities do not pay you. You don't necessarily have to go in Monday to Friday. You can negotiate with them and tell them, you know what, I can come in on Monday, I can come in on Wednesday, and I can come in on Friday. So that's three times in a week. But at the end of the day, if you do that for a month, you don't go on your CV and say, uh, I worked, I volunteered or I worked in this place for a month or as an intern, but I was only good for three days. It just says on your CV, you work for a month. So any potential employer that sees it doesn't need to know the amount of days you put in. All they know was that you worked for two months, for three months, and you gained solid experience. If added together on your CV, amounts to a year, amounts to two years, amounts to three years. And when it comes to creation of jobs or the availability of jobs, I also like to say that it's not the prerogative of the government alone. And a lot of times we look to the government to create these jobs for us, but also the government needs to be able to work hand in hand with the private sector, through public-private partnerships that can create jobs. But beyond all of this, nobody's going to come to a country and say they're planting a um, factory or an industry that will create jobs if there's insecurity, for instance, in that country. Mm -hmm. So the enabling environment needs to be created by the government. But beyond this, the organization itself needs to have certain structures and ethics, work ethics, okay, that makes it easy for people to thrive and desire to work in that kind of organization. If you're someone, someone I mean.
Mm, so when you talk about work ethics, like what exactly do you mean? Do you mean um, the management style, for instance? Yes, yes. So the management style, that's not necessarily one that micromanages people, but it gives people an opportunity to think out of the box, you know, as they carry out their activities and, and, and encourages them to grow in the job through like training opportunities, uh, capacity building opportunities, you know, and other things like that. So people are inspired to want to go in that role, not the kind of jobs where someone is working and then they have been working on the same spot for five years, there's no growth, you know. Organizations want to have structures that encourage people to thrive and aspire for growth. Mm, I totally understand. Now, on that capacity, on gaining skills and going volunteering and internships and all that, what kind of skills, or let's say for someone who didn't, um, who has finished school and who didn't take advantage of that period to volunteer and do internships, what can they do if they have already left school in order to um, gain the skills that they need quickly, you know, before they can start getting jobs, good jobs? So there are two, uh, there's three things uh, I would say they should do. The first is they can go and acquire an advanced degree, which is basically an additional degree, you know, that helps to pitch them as an, in an advantageous position, okay, to be eligible to get jobs. So sometimes, uh, you see an advertisement being made and then they say we require five years of experience, right? But if you have a master's, a master's covers for two years out of the five years. Wow. I didn't know that. And the PhD very most of the time covers for three years of work experience. Again, a lot of people don't know this. So that's why we encourage people to go acquire additional um, skills. Yes, you know, so based on what I've just told you now, for instance, um, Kredo, you realize that a lot of times, if you say you haven't gotten a job and you're waiting for a job, it may actually be in your interest to use that waiting time to go acquire an additional degree. I told young people all the time. Because at the end of the day, that same... Um, gap in quote that you're afraid of on your CV, you eventually make up for it. Mm-hmm. Okay, when you now add on your CV that you have an additional degree, that's one. Then two, not everybody will have the privilege and the patience and the resources to go acquire an additional degree like a master's or a PhD. So what you could also do is, in this era of the proliferation of the internet, you can learn so many things online and acquire. Um, certificates, you know, uh, professional certificates online. So I think young people need to also jump into these advantages, take advantage of these opportunities, left, right, center, beyond just using their um, 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 internet for social media. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I'm saying the world is very competitive, okay? You want to be able to show that you have an edge over somebody. Imagine two people, um, Corey, they are applying for a job, right? And these two people have a first class degree right? And then there's only space for one person. And then they have the same kind of CV, everything excellent, first class, lots of things on their CV that make them stand out. Both candidates are at par, but just one difference. One candidate A, two months ago, acquired one short course that took three days and he put it on his CV and candidate B does not have that. Who do you think the organization is going to give the job to? Candidate A. Just for that singular decision of taking out time to acquire an additional degree and um, qualification online. Very important. And then the top thing I want to say is beyond hard skills, beyond hard skills, whether it's engineering, you know, whatever it is you studied, you don't know, require you um, doing um, calculations or whatever it is you do on your, on your job, whether you're an accountant, whether you're an analyst, beyond all of these, okay, there are 
soft skills a lot of young people unfortunately are not aware of and again you don't learn these things in the four corners of a classroom you learn them in the real world you learn them in your day-to-day interaction with people you then you learn them in how you go about executing your activities and your endeavors okay and i'll quickly list them out um yeah i was actually going to come to soft skills you know as you're talking about soft skills i want you to actually um break it down when we say what do we mean by soft skills and what's what do you think are the most important soft skills for everybody no matter what career path they're on to acquire right so thank you very much for that question and um i think um the world economic forum gives a detailed uh insight into what the soft skills are starting from 2020 in fact they said that these skills will be the most soft after skills the most soft after skills in, from 2020 going forward. And if you've been following the news, the, the debates on this topic called the future of work, you see that a lot of the future, or what they mean, what they mean by the future of work is that a lot of the work we know to do, the traditional work, are going to be those that are going to be taken up online, remotely, as COVID-19 is already showing and demonstrating to us. So what kind of skills do you need or require to go to position you to go to take up these kind of jobs? Okay, and I'll list 10 that the World Economic Forum says we should pay attention to starting from 2020, okay? The first is complex problem solving. So maybe um, you're used to doing a, a job every day, your organization, or in a factory, where all you need to do is lift up an object from point A to point B. Imagine subsequently, you know, that all of a sudden, the, the, the route you pass, something interrupts that path. Complex problem solving simply means if we put an impediment in front of you, when, you're, when we know that every day you move, object A to object B, how are you going to be able to think around that object, that impediment, to still deliver the object from A to B? That's complex problem solving. You see, nobody teaches you in a classroom. This is what it means to be able to work in a dynamic environment in the world today. The second thing um, the World Economic Forum also points out is critical thinking. Yes, you've been told for a very long time that there is something called white, there is something called black. But for the first time, Okay, if something that you know to be black and all of a sudden it appears to have a semblance of white in it, meaning that it is becoming gray. I'm trying to be very practical. Okay, how critically can you think about what is happening to that color? How well can you think out what may be responsible for that change? Even though we've always known that object to be black, but all of a sudden it's moving to gray. Then it's the place of creativity. How creative are you in your skills acquisition, in your, in your work ethic, okay? How innovative are you able to think about carrying out a task? If, for instance, you are carrying out a task where you have to deliver an object from point A to point B, and there's also an impediment, okay? How creative can you be in finding a way to still deliver the object? Which is what Amazon is doing, for instance, with drones, for instance. You know, when they... You could, so that's part of creativity in the workspace. Then the fourth point I'd like to also mention here is people management. Yes, a lot of times people go to school, they have good degrees, they have the first class, the masters, the PhD and all that, but they aren't very, um, they don't have people management skills. In other words, they can't get along with people. And if you're someone who doesn't get along with people, it can affect the overall objective of the rest of the team, right? How well do you coordinate with others? This is the fifth point. Coordination with, with others. When you're assigned responsibility, do you just remain adamant and do it your own way, thereby jeopardizing the overall goal and objective of the rest of the team, okay? 
emotional intelligence. How emotionally intelligent are you? How do you read beyond the lines? How do you read beyond the surface? Even when you're working with other people. Have you ever found yourself in a situation whereby you are working with a team of people, but you notice that one person's character is always off? Mm-hmm. How well do you manage that kind of person mm-hmm. in such a way that they don't jeopardize the overall objective of you and the rest of the team? Mm-hmm. That's emotional intelligence. Or that you come to work one day and you see a staff who is not doing their work very well. Do you just go to them, maybe as the supervisor, and start shouting at them that since they came to work, they've not done anything? Or do you read in between the lines that normally this person would be doing their work? But they're not doing their work today. They look down. They look disturbed. Perhaps something is going on. Maybe they had a bad day just before they came to work. Did something happen at home? Correlate that's emotional intelligence. Mm. Then judgment and decision making. How well are you able to make judgment and decisions given at crucial moments or at times of crisis? How well are you able to be presented with options and make the best decision from the available information you have? Again, these are things you're not taught in the classroom. Your service orientation. What is your orientation towards service delivery, towards giving service? This is what I talked about previously. You know, when I said, how do you take on work that's not necessarily yours, you know, but the overall interest of doing it for the organization. For the team. You know? mm. Yes, exactly. And then negotiation. How well are you able to negotiate? Don't forget that negotiation is not necessarily only about um, business, but even in your place of work, you negotiate every day. You negotiate with your colleagues, you negotiate with your boss, you negotiate with clients. Again, these are things you may not necessarily learn in the four corners of the classroom. You, you hardly hear someone saying that, oh, I went to college and I studied negotiation for four years. No, there are things you learn outside the classroom. But then lastly, cognitive flexibility. Okay, if you are accustomed to doing things in one way, and then all of a sudden a new way is introduced to you, how are you able to manage? How are you able to cope? How are you able to adapt to these new ways of thinking? Right? These are the 10 points that the World Economic Forum you know, has have listed out. But I like to add just two things mm. in addition to this. Okay. Influence is very, very important. Influence is a very crucial skill. Everybody, irrespective of what you studied, need to acquire. Because without influence, you find it very difficult to meet your goals and objectives if you're working in a team or if you're working in isolation. And lastly, leadership. Leadership is crucial. You need to be able to learn to lead your own self, to be self-inspired, to be self-motivated before you can learn to lead others. Mm. Wow. This is a lot to take in. And you know why it's even more, soft skills are even more of a headache. I mean, with hard skills, you know that, okay, you are going to school to learn this thing. There's a roadmap. Everything has been has been put out for you. You have your syllabus and everything. But with soft skills, how do you even navigate that space? Because it feels like a lot of these soft skills, like you said, there are things that you're going to have to gain with experience. So for someone who wants to gain soft skills, how do you suggest they start? Like, how do you even know where you are on the scale of things? Okay, so one of the ways in which you can know that is through what I call self-discovery. Okay, let's hold it right there. Self-discovery. If you listened to our last episode, the one with Donald, the footballer turned property developer, you would have heard him talk about self-discovery. It was his exercise of self-discovery that helped him manage his disappointment at not being able to achieve his childhood dream and steer him toward charting a course for achieving a new dream. If you haven't listened to that episode, I suggest you do so. 
is the episode just before this one you're listening to. Donald gave an account of his personal experience with trying to discover himself. And now, you're about to hear an expert provide actionable steps to help you with your own journey to self-discovery. I believe that every young person needs to know what self-discovery is. Every young person, without exception, needs to know what self-discovery is. I'll talk about that in a bit. And then the second thing I also want to talk about is the place of mentorship. Very, very important. Because a lot of times, a mentor is someone who has already attained a height you are trying to attain. So why go repeat the same mistakes when you can just simply learn from that person? Yeah. Okay? So having said that, let me quickly talk about uh, the place of the place of self-discovery, okay. which is very important for young people. So, and I believe if young people can provide sincere answers, sincere answers, very sincere answers to the following questions, it would go a long, long way in helping them to know where they are and then where they need to get to. So the first of these questions is, who am I? Every young person needs to start with that question, who am I? After asking the question, who am I? They need to also go to ask themselves, where am I? Okay? Nigeria. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. The next thing they need to ask themselves is, what am I passionate about? What inspires me? What holds my attention? What do I do best? What infuriates me? What brings me joy? What challenges me? What keeps me up at night? And lastly, what is important to me? These are very very powerful questions towards self-discovery. And I can assure you, not every two persons would have the exact same answers. If you can answer these questions sincerely, you would have an idea of where you are in terms of your skills, your deficiency, what you need to do is like a swap analysis for yourself and you know what you need to do going forward to get you to where you desire to be. Mm. Okay? Yeah. Having said that, there's a place of also now seeking mentorship and a lot of times young people when they approach mentors they tell people oh they thought the, the potential mentor oh i wanted to mentor me maybe because the person is a very popular person i don't want to go to you know tell people that oh do you know blah 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 and blah is my mentor i think that's a very flawed approach and i told young people that the best way to gain the best out of your mentor consider your mentor in the first instance is someone who is extremely busy what you need to do with your mentor is to tell them See, I know you are into blah, blah, and blah. I am a young person. I have so so skills. I have acquired these skills. I have acquired this training. And I would like to help you achieve your goals and objectives, which are very much in line with mine, which is why I've I've approached you to be a mentor. Now, in the process of doing that, okay, they will begin to give you responsibilities now. And as they give you these responsibilities, when you turn in the responsibilities to them and when you turn in the work done, you get direct feedback from them. Now, by the time you get direct feedback from them, it offers you an opportunity to begin to learn firsthand from them. And then in no time, you just discover that you are thinking and acting exactly the same way like your mentor that you have chosen. So the mistake young people make is that when they see, like I said, this kind of big people, they just feel, oh, some of them feel, oh, if I just meet this person and ask this person for money, all my problems will be solved. No. Why don't you get them to teach you the tools to make the money your own self? Teach me how to fish, right? Yes, exactly. You know, so these are very important things I think young people need to begin to, you know, reconsider, you know, going forward. 
Wow, that's that's a lot to let sink in. I told you I was really looking forward to this. So <laughs> yes, I know, yes, I know I've yes. dropped a lot of heavy things. Yes, you have, you have. Anyways, anyways. So I'm thinking, what do you think of apprenticeship? Because, I mean, I know we, we traditionally think of apprenticeship as having to do with vocational trades. But don't you think they can be useful in other sectors, say finance, public policy and so on? I mean, in um, Switzerland, for instance, is one country where high quality apprenticeship seems to be working um, to improve the employment rates. How do you think we can adapt such a system? So one of the first things I'll say is that... You know, apprenticeship is very important because not everyone will have the privilege to acquire a formal education, okay? Not everybody will have that privilege. So that's where the importance of vocational, you know, and technical education comes in, okay? And, of course, apprenticeship. Because most of the time, what people learn in the four corners of the classroom are mostly theoretical. But then when they go out into the real world, they find out that there's a mismatch with what they learned in class and what they're able to do you know, uh, in the real world. And so they find themselves struggling, you know, when it comes to the practicalities of what they, what it is that they have studied. So um, apprenticeships afford you an opportunity to learn skills firsthand, which is very, very important, which is very, very important to becoming self-sufficient and self-reliant. Because you notice that Going back to what I said earlier about finishing from school and then applying for a job and then they tell you, oh, one five years of experience and all that. And then you're wondering where could I have gotten this experience from? Now, apprenticeships also helps you to close this gap. By doing an apprenticeship, like I said, you acquire first-hand skills that are required in the workplace. Okay, And if you choose not to go the route of working a seven-to-four job, with the skills you have acquired, you can now become self-sufficient and self-reliant. So, not everyone would have that privilege to go to a school or perhaps not even everyone is necessarily interested, you know, in going to acquire an education for four years, whereas they would rather just, you know, um, invest that time learning hands-on, you know, on the job. Do you think companies need to do more, private um, employers need to do more in terms of giving young people opportunities for, say, internships to learn on the job? Or do you think where we are at right now is a good place? I think I think to a large extent, yes, private companies need to um, take on more people um, for volunteering opportunities and internships. And I also want to say on record that I strongly believe, you know, that a laborer is worthy of his or her wages, you know. And so irrespective of um, what kind of internship these young people are doing, they deserve to be paid for it, okay, because things are hard on the ground. Yeah. And uh, it already is in most African countries. So you just want to, to incentivize the person, okay? And also, don't forget that when people have the right incentives, their ability to perform on the job is most certainly guaranteed, mm. you know? So companies, yes, have a responsibility to try as much as possible. If they've had a quota, you know, of people they take on before, I would say they do more, especially in... A COVID era, you know, or, or in a post-COVID era, because don't forget that the global pandemic has resulted in a lot of people losing their jobs. So there are more people now who are out of jobs, yeah. added to the number of people who are just entering the labor force. Okay, mm. so I think every opportunity that gives young people the platform to learn to keep busy should be very much welcomed, which includes both volunteering opportunities and internships in private um, organizations. 
All right. Brilliant. Brilliant. So before I let you go, you have to tell us, please, what are you currently reading? Ah, so I am currently reading um, Becoming by Michelle Obama. I haven't had time to read it all this while. Um, so that's what I'm currently reading. So far, what's your favorite thing about the book? Well, so my favorite thing about the book um, is um, her resilience mm. and the fact that she owns her own story. Mm. And she, she makes a case for young girls, young people out there all over the world. That irrespective of your background, irrespective of where you've come from, your life is yours to forge. And what you make out of life really is yours to determine. And that is a powerful, that is a powerful message. Yes, that's a very, very, very powerful message. Especially in a world where a lot of people have, um, have lost their identities and then they try to take on other identities that are not theirs because they, try, they have tend to fit into the, the crowd. I think it's important for people to recognize who they are, what their strengths are. It goes back to what I was saying about those questions. I tell you, people need to ask themselves, to self-evaluate themselves and determine where they are right now in their journey and where it is the desire to be and what price is required to pay to get them from where they are to where they desire to be. Absolutely. Very important for your people. Absolutely. Thank you very much for that. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Nothing is so painful to the human mind as a great and sudden change. That quote is by Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley in Frankenstein. And that's our quote of the week. As painful as change can be, it is necessary. To become more employable and gain the skills you need, you have to be willing to put the work. Thank you for sticking with me all the way to the end of this episode. I Am Change Podcast is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at I Am Change Pod. Share this podcast with your friends and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Until the next episode, continue to be the change you want to see. I am Corey Day Aziz. Thank you.